Holy Father, thank you so much for this day that you've blessed us with. Thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, gather here and worship you and to uh, spend time in community with one another. Uh, thank you so much for um, what we are learning in this class. Thank you so much for the, the vastness of the universe that you created and the intricacies of the human body that you created. Thank you for um, putting in all of us um, passions and desires to to um, draw closer to one another and to draw closer to you. Um, please give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning, ways that we can um, be part of your kingdom and um, and just be your, um, you know, spread your love to everybody on, on this earth, Lord. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome you guys. Thank you for being here. Um, Everything and Nothing is our class title, and it's really inspired by this unique documentary, and I'd love for you to look it up sometime if you haven't already. Um, it's called Everything and Nothing, and it's really um, a science-related uh, documentary, but it's, it sort of speaks to a lot of philosophical questions about life and certainly into faith and matters of spirituality, but um, we've introduced that idea that, uh, and, and Becky prayed about it, but the, what the documentary covers is two parts. This, this everything concept, it, it's just the vastness of the universe. And, and we watched a short video a couple of weeks ago. And of course today I want to I talk a little bit more about the nothing side. Um, while the universe is so vast, there's also, it's also made up predominantly of nothing. And so um, we sort of taken these really cosmic large concepts and applied them to the mission and ministry. Um, if you think about really the world and the tremendous need that you see in the world, um, it's vast and it, it's just so enormous, so overwhelming, so many things happening. And uh, yet on the other side of that, you, we are these finite beings and we, we somehow try to step into that vastness um, with our little selves and make a difference. And I think today, and, and I'm welcoming these guests, uh, I, I think today speaks particularly to the nothing because you've got this enormous problem of poverty and homelessness just in Nashville, you know, let alone worldwide, but just in Nashville you have this really uh, significant and um, tangible problem. And here we are, um, four leaders, the Harveys, Greg and Annie, and Jim and Dana Arnett, um, who, who lead us as a church as we kind of step into this large problem and just try to do something. And I, and I want to share this video uh, this morning. Oops. And this is this quantum physicist, Jim Al-Khalili. He talks about the nothingness in the universe, and I think you'll be able to see a lot of parallels uh, with our discussion this morning. What is nothing? It's an extremely, extremely difficult question to answer because if you think about it, wherever you look around you, there always seems to be something there. Impossible to escape from. Even just 
just trying to imagine true nothingness seems like an impossible task. But this is more than just a philosophical question. I have here a box. What would happen if I were to remove everything I possibly could from inside it? All the air, dust, every last single atom, until there was no thing left. What then exists inside the space in the box? Is it really nothing? You might wonder why this matters. Well, emptiness is what makes up almost the entire universe. Even the atoms that make up our bodies and the physical world around us comprise mostly of empty space. This film tells the story of how we've begun to understand what is known as the void or the vacuum emptiness or simply nothing. It's about reality at the very furthest reaches of human perception, a place where the deepest mysteries of the universe may be held. This film reveals how, using ingenious technology, Humans have transcended their physical senses and found ways to understand and probe the universe at the smallest scales. All right, so um, we have talked a little bit about Jesus' words in Matthew 25, the great compassion. And so as we consider this vast um, universe of mission and ministry possibility the world over and certainly uh, as we focus on Nashville uh, the problems can be overwhelming for instance um, to rent a, a one bedroom home now in Nashville it costs $1,250 so they, that equates to about three and a half part-time jobs if you were, if you were struggling uh, one in three children live in poverty and that number is growing 31,000 more or more people are unemployed, uh, having almost no basic job skills. And then 19% of Nashvilleans live in poverty, which is far worse than the national average. So it, it's sort of, uh, the problem is vast, yet it seems like in the great compassion that we've, that we've uh, introduced into this class, Jesus seems to sort of say at kind of this um, apocalyptic apex, that what really matters is just just feeding people. It's just caring about people. It's just giving giving uh, a drink to those who are thirsty, visiting those who are in prison. So you, you see this spectrum that we're talking about. It's it's overwhelming and it's huge. Yet at some in some level, as as Jesus people, we step into this uh, as finite beings, just trying to do something to make a difference. And I think, as I said. I think as we talk about what these guys do in, in, the, in the ministry of Room in the Inn, I think you'll see uh, some similarities and some parallels. So anyway, our goals for the class are these three, cultivating social imagination, inspiring with transformation, and promoting relentless inclusion. And again, I think you'll see those three things happening uh, on a weekly basis from November to March when it comes to Room in the Inn. 
So, um, Jim, I'm going to start with you, and then uh, and then we can bounce around. We're all going to pepper you with questions this morning. Um, this is not so much about the nuts and bolts of Room in the Inn, while while I'm sure you'll learn some things about about that, but more um, their hearts and why they have stepped into, in all of their nothingness, stepped into this vast sea of need uh, here in Nashville. And so what we want to try to drill down and figure out what, what's on their minds and hearts when it comes to mission and ministry in Nashville. So give us a, a quick overview of, of Otter Creek and Room in the Inn. Okay. Um, Room in the Inn is um, what well, was started about 30 years ago by Father Charlie Strobel, who is a um, Catholic priest and his um, Back in, I think it was '85 was when the first time he took some he took some some guys into his church building and gave them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I think is the way the story goes. And so, but within a year, pretty quickly, he had started providing overnight um, shelter during the winter. And by the end of the, I read, I kind of reviewed some of this this morning. I don't know this all this well, um, but uh, by the end of the season of the winter of 1986. I think they had 30 congregations that had signed up to be a part um, of this new thing called Room in the End. And since then, it's grown. I think last year there was 180 different congregations um, that participate um, in the in the winter the winter housing part of Room in the End. But it's also grown now that they do a lot more. Um, kind of whole person, bigger picture type of work as well. So transitional, trying to help individuals get through addiction or uh, mental illness and uh, education and, and really trying to um, address the much bigger picture of, of what is involved in transitioning out of um, homelessness into a more stable life with uh, permanent housing. So. Um, I, I like to make that distinction that there is room in the end does a lot. Part of what they do is their winter housing, winter shelter program that's from November 1st to the end of March. And that's the part where all these different congregations, specifically that's where we're, you know, where Otter Creek is one of many. And um, so what that looks like here at Otter Creek is that every Tuesday night, we take uh, 12, we pick up 12 guests their um, their campus is downtown um, and so we go down somebody goes down there with our church van picks up the 12 guests typically there's 12 men but we've done other we've done families and um, usually it's either all men or it's a couple families and a few men we've never had like all 12 women or um, there are other churches I think that specifically um, house women but so we bring bring the 12 guests back to Otter Creek um, on a Tuesday night, serve them dinner. The gym is set up with uh, mats and partitions where they um, can sleep in a warm space. And then they get up the next morning early and we have a couple um, hosts from Otter Creek that stay with them and those guys get up and fix breakfast, serve them breakfast. And then there are also sack lunches prepared. And so then around six, they're taken, 545, they're taken back downtown um, with a sack lunch and hopefully 
a good warm breakfast in their bellies and a good night of decent night of sleep. So, and um, other than that, we have a, a clothing closet that's downstairs that they can, you know, that we try to keep stocked with essentials and warm clothes and type and that type of thing. But that's the uh, that's the big picture of kind of what rooming in is at Otter Creek and what it is, how it kind of pertains to the larger big part of rooming in. Dana, talk a little bit about um, sort of the heart level. What have you seen from members who get involved? What have you all noticed about yourselves, your perception of poverty, your perception of homelessness? Talk a little bit about on that level what you've noticed and what you've learned. Well, when we started out, um, I, I was fearful that well, I didn't know what I was doing for one thing and I feel like it kind of fell in our lap and um, Jim had some experience with it in Seattle in a, a kind of in a different um, ministry up there but um, so and, and, and we had little kids and I was really worried that I was gonna have to be here every Tuesday night with two little kids and I just <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that but of course we didn't have to be here and we just coordinate the volunteers and set people up to, to come here and do all the all the details um, but I really just was kind of going through the motions I think in the beginning and then the more I was around it and I wanted to be here on Tuesday nights I mean I'm still not here every Tuesday night but um, it just became so much more comfortable for me and like in the beginning I wanted to just be in the kitchen and not really, I wasn't comfortable sitting out there with the men at the table and I never knew what to say or what to do. And But you know, I was really good at putting food on plates. Um, and then as, as the years went by, I just felt more of, um, more compassion for them. And it just, to hear their stories, it's just, it's more than, you know, they just, um, I mean, they're all just they're all different they er, everybody has a different story and a different reason for being in the situation that they're in and um, you know when the 2010 flood happened um, there was a lot going on then and a lot more people involved and that broke my heart that might have been a kind of a transitional year for me too just to to really be more face-to-face -face with, with some of the people that were experiencing, you know, because Tent City was destroyed, and um, so they didn't even have that to go to anymore. Um, so to find even temporary housing for people was was challenging. Um, so I think I think I just came became more com compassionate for that population, and decided that, you know, where I personally fit in, even that, and, and I do feel like what I do is nothing compared to what a lot of other people do for homelessness. Um, but I, I think I've finally come around to, well, this is what I can do at this point in my life. I can help coordinate Tuesday nights <laughs> for the winter months. And, and I really, I love communicating with members here at Otter Creek about it. And I do love hearing the stories um, about um, their experiences here on Tuesday nights. Um, you know, I, my one personal experience is that I was here with a different life group. Marlene Butler and her life group were here, and um, my dad had passed away, and I had held on to some of his clothes for a couple of years, and just 
didn't, I wasn't ready to let go of them. And when I finally decided I was ready to give them away, um, so I put them in the closet, just, you know, the ones that were appropriate for winter months and stuff. Um, but my dad was a really sharp dresser. And so that night, this man walks out of the closet in one of my dad's shirts. And I mean, it was starched, <laughs> just really sharp looking shirt. And I was just like, you know, it, it, and so I ran into the kitchen. <laughs> I, you know, and I cried a little bit and Marlon Butler said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I told her and she's like, well, get yourself together. And then I want you to go out there and tell him. And so I did, and it was so, and he was just so, you know, proud, and he, you know, thought he looked good, and he did, he looked so good, and um, so anyway, it just, it just feels good to go down there, um, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but if you go, and you, you, you feel like, I'm going to bless these people tonight, it, it will turn around on you, and <laughs> you will be blessed in some way, I promise. Greg and Annie, y'all are new to this ministry. You're stepping into a role to help the Arnett's and to be coordinators and ch champions of, of this effort at Otter Creek. I'm curious, do you know, as you think about this video and sort of stepping into the nothingness, are you intimidated? Do you feel like, um, does it seem a little overwhelming to try to make a dent in this problem in Nashville? So I am the type of person when someone needs help I, I like I want to fix them and <clears throat> one thing that I love on the Raven Man website they very clearly state that is not what this is it is not your job to fix these people it's just your job to show them compassion so I find it's good for me to put myself in that position too and remind myself that I don't have to take care of everything because there are lots of little small things that make a huge impact. And then I kind of think of, we all see them selling contributors or whatever they do on the, on the street and just ne pay attention next time you're at a red light and you see them and watch the other cars and how hard people try not to make eye contact with them. Like they'll pull out their phone or they'll look this way and Sometimes that's all that they want is to be acknowledged. And I think about myself, I'm acknowledged all day long. You know, wherever I go, if I look at someone, they typically look back and smile. And, you know, these, these people have it hard enough. Sometimes it's just really small things. It's just acknowledgement. And that's what happens every Tuesday night is that they come here and a group at Otter Creek acknowledges them and gives them the dignity that they deserve, along with the other things that they need. But just that little bit of help, again, it's, so I, I have to keep a frame of reference mm -hmm. that because it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to go to the same thing. That <laughs> 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 just ran over you. No, I think, um, I mean, there's so many aspects of homelessness and um, it, it does seem overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, how are we going to boil the ocean and, and fix this? Um, but my own experience, I grew up in Cleveland in the city and loved going to Indians, Browns games, and I'd see, you know, Muslim men downtown and, um, and then coming to Vanderbilt for college, it's prevalent in Nashville. And I visit friends at Georgetown and in DC early 90s, it was like 
really aggressive homeless people I'd, I'd see with friends and asking for money and things like that. And um, so, so the problem is everywhere, as you mentioned. And my junior year, I spent in England, in Leeds, not far from Manchester, and a friend of mine, he was from Germany, and we'd go out to pubs at night or the grocery store, and I, I would remember him every Friday handing a guy on the corner in a blanket a pint of lager that, you know, we would drink. And is that what that person needed? Pro probably not. I mean, who knows what kind of problems he had, but that showed me, like, hey, he's no different than, than us. And um, like Annie mentioned, making them feel like acknowledged, present, they're not just who, whoever. And um, I was just giving some thought to this and my first experience out of Greek was room me in. I drove the, the church van and we had families that night <clears throat> and I'm waiting in line, all these, you know, there's hundreds of churches each night and the first family comes up, there's this little girl in a puffy pink jacket that if you dropped her off in Brentwood or Franklin, I mean, she could be one of our daughters. And, you know, we have seven-year-old twins now. And, and that really hit home to me that, wow, these, you know, a missed utility bill or loss of a job, you know, maybe I, I could be in that situation. And, um, one of my friends in Nashville, he goes to First Pres and he'll spend the night. And um, then he was having dinner with a guest. And it so happened that this guest went to Mississippi State, played on the baseball team, worked for a sports franchise. The point of the story is he, this guy was obviously exaggerating. It's like, oh yeah, Nat, I did those same things too. So you do have these hit you in the face moments, but they're also things you can laugh at and, um, you know, just just having a, a normal everyday experience with men or women is, um, is pretty impactful. And just to share those normal everyday experiences, I think it goes a long, long way. I mean, rooming in, there's all these other programs. We're not gonna fix homelessness but I think just keeping those things in perspective that for an hour or one night it's 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 really impactful yeah. so. some of my favorite uh, lines from this little short video we just watched said he said the voids might explain why we exist at all or the nothingness might explain why we exist at all emptiness is what makes up most of the entire universe and we're the deepest mysteries may be held. So um, maybe Jim or Dana, share, share something that you've witnessed um, where it would be this, this story or this statement or this thought, whatever you can give us, would address the person who says, oh, you know, you aren't, this doesn't attack, this doesn't address any of the problems, this doesn't change anything about Nashville and homelessness. What would you say to counter that? In other words, uh, what, what could you, how would you defend this, this ministry? Not that it needs to be defended, but if someone said, you know, this is not making a difference, how would you, how would you say, yes, it is? Uh, well, like Annie said, I mean, I think room in the end is 
very forthright about saying this is when they actually have a selection on the website what what we are and what we aren't or you know who we are and who we aren't and I think I mean I, first of all I would I'd be happy to have that conversation with somebody because sometimes I can go through that same mental process of like what what are we really doing or what you know like you know where is the where's where's the line between helping and enabling I mean I think there are some legitimate questions and conversations to be had and where I come to is this is very much an act of compassion in, in addressing a very immediate short-term need. And um, it's not my place to show up and say, now I'll give you this food, but like, I don't want you being dependent on churches for food. Like you need to change your life and get and do X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's not what I'm there for, right? I mean, I think that there's a place for, you know, I think we all hope that that this this isn't the new status quo for any of these individuals for the long term, but that's not our job in that moment. And so I think, you know, the way I would respond to somebody who feels like whether this is just enabling or this doesn't really change anybody's life is for somebody to have the energy and the focus to get them to help themselves and to move past whatever situation they in, they are in I mean you've got to be fed you have to be you have to feel like you're not under the threat of violence you have to feel like you're not um, incredibly sleep deprived that you're recognized as Annie said as a, as a human as a, as a person with dignity and so all of these essential needs have to be met before they can say, before we can start talking about, okay, how can you deal with your addiction problem? Or how can you get the right medications for your mental illness or get a steady job? And so that's the way I would address it is, you know, you just have to really kind of take, uh, you know, you have to kind of pull back and say, what are we really doing to on a Tuesday night in Brentwood, Tennessee? And, and I'm, I'll, and the answer is there's a lot of what we're not doing. And you have to just acknowledge, you know, we're not doing a lot of what you're, what we are legitimate concerns. That's not what we're addressing. We're trying to prepare this person. We're trying to feed and house and allow this person the rest that will then give them the potential to move into whatever other hard places they have to move into to get hopefully out of the situation. And what I love about working with Room in the End is that I know that those facilities and those programs exist to help, that are at least available. Yeah. Which I think is a good segue to a story I heard down at the campus a few weeks ago. Um, so this happens very rarely, but occasionally. Um, they, they have a process where they screen the people before they come to our churches and you know, in hopes to catch anybody who's been drinking or you know, who's high or whatever, and so some guy slipped through the process and, and was drunk and was here, and so the not host... Not at Otter Creek, right? No, not at Otter Creek, at some other church. I don't, I don't know which church it was, but um, so, you know, they felt really bad about having to call room in the end because they didn't want to get the guy in trouble, you know, and because so, they thought they would just kick him out of the program, like it, literally kick him back on the street, but, you know, he was being disruptive and all this other stuff, so they called him, they came and got him, right away 
and it turns out that he did have an addiction problem so they took him into their program there he was able to to stay there and sleep there and go through their addiction program and the guy went from temporary housing and now is a healthy person living you know in in a in on his own and so you know that is is a miracle and a and a success story that I'm sure that doesn't happen, you know, all the time, but it happened that time and that's worth celebrating. So I just, I think we do, you know, if the churches do their part, then, you know, other people can do their part. Well, in a sense that puts like that, put that guy in proximity with people who are healthy and rested and, you know, stable and able to, you know, maybe able to see where he needed help or see, you know, like, I don't know, like that, that to me is another part of the equation is that a lot of times these people don't have many people around them who are able to say, hey, I think, you know, like this isn't working, so we need to, we need to do something else. I mean, so even, even having him come and get picked out and pulled out of the church was an act, could be an act of, I mean, in that situation, it was this, like, really important act of grace and action that he needed. Good thought. And I want you guys to feel free to ask these folks questions. Um, my last one, and I'm going to let you all uh, chime in. E- either one of you guys. Um, and and I, this, is, this is not meant to be a judgmental question um, or a judgment of the church in any sense, but... As we look at Matthew 25, and as I said, you kind of have this um, this picture that he he describes, and um, you know there's a judgment that's that's occurring, and he's separating the two the two um, into groups, and he's saying for those that fed me and clothed me and visited me in prison here, and the others go here, and so you have this scene, and I'm not going to try to interpret that for us. But you have this scene. What would you say to the church? Or let me ask it this way: What do you think are the obstacles? Because it seems so clear that we're all called to this very simple stepping into um, at this really basic level of just caring and showing compassion to people in need. What are some of the things that are keeping us from that as individuals, as a church collectively? Let me see. We live very much in a world of kind of a competition of who's the busiest. For me, when I think about the things that I'm really busy with, they're not really important things. Or they're fortunate problems, maybe, like things I've created to be busy. And then I think sometimes there's always the thought that, well, I do this. I'm too busy, or maybe that person, you know, someone else will do it. I don't know, feel free to jump in here. Um, I, I, I fall into the busy thing, and I'm surrounded with friends who do the same thing, so, that, which is another reason why I have to do things like this. I have to purposely plant these things in my life because it helps me get the right perspective again that, no, this is what I should be busy doing. Mm-hmm. Running to Target and going to the grocery store and doing whatever, like, 
those things happen, but that's not what should really keep me busy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a big thing, like, again, being in Brentwood, Williamson County, I think it's a, a status thing, too. And I think it's the stereotypes, too, of rooming the inn and homelessness, like, oh, I don't want to hang out with those people or or whatever but when I when I think about room in the end like Jim talked about what it is and isn't I, I look at doing room in the end is getting out of my my comfort zone I'm pretty introverted so to strike up conversations and not knowing what to say can can be awkward but I've learned over the last year or two it it is so easy like it's just kind of just happens, whether it's driving the bus or spending the night or having a cup of coffee, watching something on TV. Um, but like when you read like Matthew 25, like, hey, that, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're, you know, if I lose a little sleep that night, it, it's no big deal or what, what's keeping me from doing it. So. Um, I, I had a, uh, a high school professor that's a really, was a big mentor of mine. And, um, I took his class, Christian Manhood, and he got married later in life. And um, he started all these amazing programs like having high school students um, have dinner with people that had mental disabilities. And a big one was um, homelessness, where they drive around with chicken noodle soup and, and hand it out to people and just all these other um, forms of service. And he got married as like early 50s and a vast majority of his wedding guests, I mean, he had his family and friends there, but were homeless people and people that um, had mental illness. And I look back at my wedding reception and I'm like, <laughs> Who, who, who does that? I mean, I mean that is Matthew 25. I mean, that, and so I think of room in the inn, it's, it's an hour, it's two hours, and how much is it disrupting our comfortable lives? It's, it's not. So when you, when you think about things in, in that direction, um, that there shouldn't be too many obstacles or, or things getting in our way. We should make it more of a priority. And, and I struggle with it too. Like, oh, do I really want to spend the night this night? I just got back from a road trip or being out of town. So um, just think of it in, the, in that way. Like it's, it, we're not, room in the end is not asking that much. And um, like Jim Dan said, like it's, you'll be blessed so there aren't too many obstacles and, and we have young kids which can be a very reasonable excuse to not do some things sometimes and it sometimes it does make things with Rooney and hard but like Greg has spent the night several times and you know, so I have to pull the weight at home, maybe where I wouldn't have um, the same thing, you know, work during the day and then come home and then, but that's something that we've decided is worth it. And 
I will say this, it's been really great to be so involved with young kids because it's already changing them. And I grew up in a household where you did. So you weren't just talked to about service or what was the right thing to do, but we went and we did it. And we took meals to people and we went and visited sick and we did that. Um, it's really changed, our twins are seven, but it's already, it's really amazing to see the difference that it's made with them. The way they pray is different. The way they think about food is different. It all is, all of it. They know if Greg's not home, we talk about what he's doing. They want to know about the menu or who's staying there. We've come and I think maybe at least twice, it's always been around a holiday, Thanksgiving or December, we'll do breakfast. And because usually everybody's out of town, we're always in town, it's easy for us. But it's so much fun to take the kids along with us to go and get the groceries and to make it and the conversations it has, you know, it's it's real. And then they're seeing everyone and we live in an area that's not necessarily diverse. So it's also a great way to just provide diversity and what really happens in the world and what we're supposed to do. Other questions or thoughts? From anybody. We live in a culture where and you can do a lot of cross-cultural things. These are our needs. This is us. This is our box. This is the way we are. This is what we need. This is our fear. And then there's them. In many of the cultures, especially in the homeless, you have relief. Most of the time, it's a, you see this all the time when you're driving along. What is the proper response when someone walks up and knocks on the window? Do I answer them? Do I not? Do I know they need something? Do I acknowledge them? Or do I not? Are they appropriate? I've seen people who are begging and they live in an apartment right over here where I live and they're making more money than I am. There's relief. We as the church get stuck in relief. You see this in Birmingham all the time. We feel like that's all I can do and that's all I want to do and that's all I should do. But then there's betterment. Relief is give him a fish. Here, here's some fish. Take it. Betterment is teach him to fish. We, with our needs, say, whoa, 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 betterment's too far from me. That's, I got to spend time with this person, and that would change my whole outlook and my whole background. And, and then there's development, which is for that person, how do I not only get him to take the fish, but also learn how to get a fish for himself? But now he's taking his friends to get fish and teaching me how to get to those friends because those are the people that need Matthew 25. So we've got these two worlds. My question is, in the modern church, what is, what is our purpose? I think you framed it as, there's this vast nothingness, and then there's our little world. What is the purpose of church now? Because it used to be the church, at one time, was all of these social services. And in many countries you go, there is no social net. Literally, a person's begging because someone broke their arm and put them on the street to get money for the family. In our country, we have, well, they have this program, that program, the government's doing this, the state's doing this. They've literally taken that from the church. And then once in a while, they'll dole it back to us and say, here, what is our purpose now? I guess that's the question I'm trying to figure out as believers. I have a compassion for folks. At the same time, 
I'm not going to solve a person's alcoholic problem in one evening as you eloquently expressed. Maybe that's the question I'm trying to figure out. What is the purpose? Where do we replace? Because if I give relief all the time, that's all I'll be doing all the time. And you, you know that as well as I do. It gets deeper and more, and, but it never solves the development problem. Uh, but if I don't connect development, we'll never get out of the relief business. But I have to do relief because I have to. Everybody needs relief. I don't want to denigrate that. Yeah. I guess that's the question I'm trying to bring up because I'm a bit confused on that now. I've yeah. served in a lot of countries and ministries and things, and this is the same issue everywhere. I don't care where you live. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, um, you know, I wrestle with that as a church leader all the time because um, we want to partner with organizations that are taking those next steps and doing something to develop people in any, in any area of ministry. Not, not just this one. Um, I, I too wonder about any sort of um, program, quote unquote program, whether um, it, whether it does any of those next steps, whether it's just sort of putting money into this, into this vacuum. And so I, I wonder often just how do we make sure that these efforts aren't just sort of one and done and how do we make sure that participants um, see them as just a, a kickstart as a, as a starting point for them in their own ministry their own personal ministry uh, for instance and Becky might want to talk more about this but she and I've been working on a um, something we're calling neighbor kids and so this Halloween at our trunk retreat kids and families will be able to go to a station and construct the neighbor kit now, I've seen those done in other churches and other places, and they can be really overly churchy and, um, and sort of a one-and-done kind of almost seemingly pointless effort to stop and give a stranger this, this essential kit. They'll enjoy it in the moment. They need it in the moment. But what we're going to try to do is encourage people to give it to a person that you're seeing regularly, someone that you could actually establish a relationship with, someone that you could actually get into their life, and, and you see it with particularly contributor sales, they do frequent the same corner, and so you could actually get into their life, learn their name, get a phone number, uh, meet them later for a lunch or a meal or coffee, and start developing a friendship with just one person. But I would, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I do shy, I do want to shy away as a church leader from something that doesn't give me the ability to be in it for a longer haul. And so I'm really skeptical of programs that are, are sort of one and done. I think what Jim talked to early on is that Room in the Inn is, is a broader um, attack. It is a broader um, angle on, on the, those struggling with homelessness. And so I do want to try to kind of have a litmus test for, for any organization that we would choose to partner with and see that it's not a one and done because what I hope we're not doing as church leaders is leading people to um, sort of have a checkbox. You know, okay, I did room in the end, I'm doing Matthew 25 and feel good about it. Yes, we want you to feel good about it. You will undoubtedly feel good about it because you've blessed somebody, but this is just a stepping stone to a life of Matthew 25, to, to helping people in need. And so, 
hopefully as leaders, I'll encourage you all as leaders, I, I want to be encouraged as a leader to make sure that what people hear as we sort of recruit and champion this effort is that, hey, we're just, we're just trying to open up this vast world to you. And then once you step into it, hopefully the Holy Spirit will, will take your heart and, and do something great with it. And you could be serving in all sorts of capacities of your own innovation for many years to come without necessarily this program to help you kind of get going. Does that make sense? Um, and so whether it's a neighbor kit or, or signing up for a night at the room in the end, hopefully what people are seeing is just, this is just a way to kind of get your imagination rolling because there's this whole universe out there and you just maybe need some tools to kind of step into it and get active. Thoughts? One of the greatest reliefs for me after doing 19 years of medical missions um, was all of a sudden realizing that God was there before I got there. Yeah. He's there while I'm there and he's continuing afterwards. And after doing so much of, of that in those areas and realizing it's really a community of people that are working with that. That's what I like about Room in the Inn is the fact that you have, uh, I mean, the story about the man who was the alcoholic and there is a rehab center. There is the other infrastructure there. And so we don't have to do it all. Uh, I think it is important to ask those serious questions. Uh, uh, in the sense of, okay, this is my part, but where are the other parts? How can? But I think it's also good humility to realize that maybe what we need to do is do one piece of that and encourage the other pieces to come into it. Um, and I just wanted to say something quick about the, the nothing. It's interesting to me, there's a book by John Ortberg, who's, it's Who Is This Man? And it's about Jesus. And one of the things that he talks about is if you look at the life of Jesus and the ministry that he did, and then you look at the Caesars and you look at Herod and all of the buildings and everything else they did, uh, the ultimate interesting thing is, is that Jesus, who was homeless, uh, actually changed the way the world thought. And we usually call our dogs Caesar and Nero. Uh, so it's interesting to me how maybe some of the smaller things that we do actually have bigger implications, maybe even cosmic implications that we can't necessarily see. Um, it, but I see that. I mean, I've heard stories of kids who we treated 30 years ago and now they're working in doing something else that was a bigger ministry than I could have even thought of. Um, so lots of times it's just being, being responsible for the moment that we're in and then asking those deeper questions. I, I think we always have to ask those deeper questions. Is this enough or is there something else? Do we need to connect with other people in the community so that we can do something better? It's especially valuable because this group, they have a network too that we don't often get to see. Mm -hmm. When they have a good experience with these folks, they'll tell four other people, hey, yeah. That was, yeah, those folks were really, yeah. Yeah. and it's very, very impactful, and it moves the ball down the road, so I, I applaud what you're doing. It's a, and a lot of it, we'll never actually know what actually happened. Mm -hmm. One lady <laughs> talked about the old story where walking on the beach, she saw a starfish pick it up and throw it back in the ocean, and her friend said, well, there's thousands of starfish, what are you doing that for? And she said, well, help that one, mm -hmm. that one's better now. 
seems to be the Jesus Matthew twenty five type of Well, we're out of time, but thank you all for coming, for sharing your heart. Um, tell us a little bit about Next Steps, if you want to get involved, Dana. Uh, well, there's a sign-up genius that, um, do you have a link for that? Or? I do, and what I'll do is send that out in the class message okay. this week, and so if you're on our email, you'll get that. If you're not on our email, be sure to give it to me, but it's a, it's a simple, it's a tiny URL that we've got set up for um, the sign-up. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities <coughs> to get involved with those Tuesday nights. Um, you can drive to go pick up the guys or take them back the next morning. Um, you can help provide one of the meals. Um, you can do laundry. You can wash the sheets. Um, and help us keep the closet maintained. Just donate um, clothing items um, for, the, for the closet. So if you're interested in any way in helping us um, with those slots, then we'd love for you to sign up and... I have just loved this place. <laughs> Good. Thanks for coming. All right. Thank you all for being here. See ya. Thank you.